In this episode, I interviewed Tom Schwab of Interview Valet. Now, we had some technical difficulties, mostly on my end. My internet completely quit on us, actually, during the the middle of the podcast, and uh, had a lot of trouble with it from there on out, and so I have to apologize to Tom because we weren't able to fit the whole thing in here after I got it edited down to where uh, it wasn't just Tom talking to a ghost, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the interview. I know I did. Tom Schwab of Interview Valet. Welcome to the Impact Legacy and Meaning Podcast, where we discuss the mindset, strategies, and tactics that will allow you to make the kind of impact you want on your family, your business, and your community, while creating a personal and financial legacy that will last for generations. I'm Sean Skaggs, your host. I'm a father, husband, business leader, and follower of Christ who's on a mission to help you create the impact, legacy, and meaning you want for your life. Don't forget to go to impactlegacyandmeaning.com to download your free personal assessment. And if you like the show, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on iTunes and help spread the word. In this noisy digital world, you can't break through the noise. You just add to it. Instead, you need to get in on the conversation where your ideal customers are already listening. As a Navy veteran who ran nuclear power plants and an inbound marketing manager, Tom Schwab has a refreshingly unique approach. He focuses on time-proven strategy, then supercharges it with today's technology and podcast interview marketing. An author, speaker, and teacher, Tom helps you get more traffic, leads, and raving customer fans by being interviewed on targeted podcasts. Tom Schwab, welcome to the Impact Legacy and Meaning Podcast. Sean, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, for our listeners who may not know much about you or know who you are, can you get us started by telling us just a little bit about your story, kind of walk through you know, your career journey, your family, and, and how the, all that brought you to where you're at now with Interview Valet? Well, it's it's a long story, uh, and it's one that I have to pinch myself uh, with. You know, I was born in the Midwest. I'd never really been more than a hundred miles from my home. It was it was like Mayberry, but it was a small world. And uh, uh, I got accepted into the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, I got in on a technical error. Um, I am not physically qualified to be in the Navy. I've got no depth perception. But they didn't figure that out till my senior year. So by that time, they gave me the waiver. I got to see the world, um, and it was just an amazing thing how it opened up my eyes. Uh, I was an engineer, mechanical engineer that uh, ran nuclear power plants, and that really taught me that you know there's systems, there's processes, anything can be taught. Um, and I went from that um, that career in the Navy, um, left that largely because of my family. Uh, you know, when people thank me for my service, I'm like, don't thank me, thank the families because to me that's the really really tough job. Uh, so I was married, had two kids while I was in the Navy. Uh, there's an old joke: you can be there for the uh, the birth or the conception. Um, I wasn't there for the birth of, of either child, but um, uh, we got out of the Navy, uh, moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan on a snowy February day. And I said, well, I'll take the job, but I'm not going to die here. Well, uh, what is it now? 20 some years later, still here. It's home. Uh, I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, we've got four kids. Um, we've got uh, a wonderful son-in-law. We've got two 
wonderful grandchildren. Um, my wife tells me I can't call them great grandchildren uh, because it makes her feel old. Um, but uh, you know, it's you know today it's such an amazing thing because work is what we do, not where we go. And to think that you know with the internet, with podcasting, I'm able to connect. Uh, you're able to connect with people around the world. So, uh, you know, even though it, uh, we're probably a thousand miles apart from Michigan to Oklahoma, uh, we can still have a conversation and, and talk to people um, wherever they are and whenever they are. Yeah. And I love to hear that you've got four kids because, uh, you know, I don't run into a lot of people who are crazy enough to have four kids. And I've actually, I'm up to five now, but uh, four is a lot. Four is, it can overload you pretty fast. And so uh, I'm glad to see somebody survived that and has moved on to the point where you're even a, a grandparent now. So that's awesome. Well, I, um, it, it's been amazing. And uh, the only thing better than being a parent has been being a grandparent. I say my business coach is this five-year little five-year-old little girl that keeps giving me advice and a three-year-old uh, little boy that keeps asking me why. And uh, I keep answering them and, and I learn stuff. Yeah, that's the classic coaching question, isn't it? Just that continue to ask why. So sounds like you've got a good coach there. Um, now how did you get, you know, all the way into interview valet? What brought you to, to do that or to, to provide that as a service? Where did, what kind of need did you see there? So I think it always goes back to like when I was, when I was younger and it, the world was a, a very small place. Right. And, um, I remember when I went into the Navy, I was 17 years old and sat down with my grandfather and uh, had a beer with him. He thought it was my first beer ever. And he gave me the advice and it was the only wrong thing that old Irishman ever told me. He said, you know, choose carefully who you drink with because you can't choose who you work with. And, you know, for him, he was a mechanic in a small town. If you didn't live within five miles of him, you weren't his customer. But for us, it's so much different. You know, the world is our market now. And one of the things that I saw years ago was that people were talking about breaking through the noise. And I think the people that are telling us to break through the noise are the ones that are selling us all the microphones or at least the megaphones. And to me, it was more important just to get in on the conversation, you know, talk to people. Don't, don't try breaking through the noise and yelling. And so with inbound marketing, you know, using content that used to be blogs. And then as podcasts started to take off, I looked at that and thought, well, you could really use podcasts and especially podcast interviews to get out there and tell your story and connect with your ideal customer. Because I think today, every business's biggest problem is obscurity, right? No matter who you are, what you do, what service you provide, there's probably a thousand people out there that would love to have what you offer. The problem is, is they don't know you exist, right? So uh, the biggest problem is obscurity. And I, I, I love being able to work with, you know, coaches, authors, speakers, and brands to, to help them get their message out there and really connect with their ideal customers. And, you know, uh, it makes the world better for everybody. One of the things that uh, we didn't talk very much about in the beginning is your book, Podcast Guest Profits. And uh, I'll be honest with you, Tom, I had full intentions of reading that whole thing before we got on this interview. And it's been kind of a crazy week and I have not gotten it done, but I have gotten through part of it. And I know that one of the things that you talk about in there is uh, 
know, finding your ideal customer, finding a way to get in front of them. What's your, your biggest suggestion for our listeners out there on how to find where your ideal customer is at? And I would argue with the premise that bigger is better. You know, better is better. So a lot of times people will say, you know, um, how can I get on the biggest podcast or how can I get on um, some notable podcast? And I would argue, is that the best podcast for you? So you have to put yourself in your customer's shoes. And sometimes it's even asking them, you know, do you listen to podcasts? Um, What kind of podcast do you listen to? Um, Think about what they're interested in. And like I said, bigger is not always better. So going there, I, I think there's a uh, uh, something called pickleball. I, I hadn't heard of it till about a year ago when somebody pointed out to me. Um, I guess it's like a combination of of tennis and uh, uh, ping pong. But uh, you know, if you were had pickleball products, you know, where would you market that? The vast majority of the world doesn't even know what it is. But there are like eight podcasts devoted to pickleball. So you can go there and talk directly to them. And so really it's, it's putting yourself in the customer's perspective. The other thing that I think is important is there's a, uh, the best tweet I have ever seen. Uh, probably the, the only tweet I really like is it came from a guy by the name of Rand Fishkin and Rand runs a company called SEO Moz. He wrote a book called lost and founder, but his tweet was today. The best thing, the best way to sell anything is not to sell anything, but to earn the respect, awareness, and trust of those who might buy. So you think about it, you know, go to where your customers are, earn the respect, awareness, and trust of them. That's the way you're going to, you know, build, build customers and really build a business, a, you know, lifetime value of customers. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's what I always tell our sales team. 75% of sales is just being somebody that people will like. Uh, because people want to do business with people that they like. And if, if they like you and they know you and they know that you're in that business, they'll seek you out uh, to, to do that kind of business. And I agree with you totally on that. You know, today it's never been easier to sell something. I mean, just be a penny cheaper than the next person and you'll sell it. But don't think you're building a business with that, right? Because as soon as somebody else is a penny cheaper, they've got to know, like, and trust you. You've got to have a relationship there if you want to build a business. Absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm going to flip the switch on you just a little bit here and talk a little bit more about family, because obviously you've, you know, you've got a lot of experience with family. Uh, You've, you've obviously faced some challenges while you were in the military and, and still trying to, you know, to have a family at home and everything else. You know, what's one of the biggest challenges that you faced in raising your family? To me, I, I would say it's, it's balance, right? Because it's sometimes in the, the military, it was easy because when you were deployed, you were deployed. Uh, you couldn't be there. Um, so you focused 100% on your business. Then when you were home, it, it was different hours and everything. So you could be focused on them. And social media, the internet has been a blessing, but it's also been a curse. So from the standpoint, it's so easy to uh, to multitask. And I I, I put that in air quotes, right? Uh, I, I think someday they're going to come back and say multitasking um, never worked. Uh, we were just lying to ourselves. But to me, it's to be present where you are. If you're at work, then work. You know, If you're at home, be at home. 
And uh, I mentioned that uh, that business coach I have that's five years old, and she called me out on this one time where she was talking to me. I was checking something on my phone, and she stopped. She looked at me. She took my my face in her little hands, and she says, Pa, you are not listening to me. And she was so right. And I put my phone down, and I told her from then on that when we talk to each other, we look at each other. And so it's been a great thing. If she talks to me, I know that I put down whatever I have and look at her, but it's also been the same with her. So if, if she's playing with something and I say something to her, we've got this un, unspoken agreement. I guess it's spoken that we set down what we're doing and look at each other. And I think if, if she can learn that, heck, if I can learn that, uh, my life is going to be so much better. So to me, it's that that whole idea of being present where you are. And I don't know that work-life balance, uh, I think at times that sets us up for failure. Uh, I had a great uncle that was a, uh, a dairy farmer. He had no work-life balance, right? The, um, the cows never knew that it was Sunday. Uh, the cows never knew it was his day off or it was Christmas, but he had work-life integration. He wasn't trying to, to multitask with that. So uh, to me, it's really being present. Yeah, my family was actually in the dairy industry uh, back before I was born, and I've always been really grateful that they got out of the dairy industry uh, by the time I was actually born because that's there is no vacation in the dairy industry. Every morning, 5 a.m., every afternoon, 5 a.m. or 5 p.m., uh, you are out there milking cows. It doesn't matter what day it is. It doesn't matter whether it's summer, winter, whatever, and that you've got the same routine every single day. So I was glad that I wasn't raised in that, but I know some people that were, and it, it made things difficult. But uh, but at the same time, like you said, if you can integrate your family and work together, then uh, then maybe it's possible to do some of both. If you've got the family helping you out there and making them a part of what you're doing. Um, you know, as one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking, you know, with your grandparent or excuse me, with your grandchildren now, uh, you are a role model for them. Obviously you're a role model for a lot of people probably in your life. Is there, was there anybody in your life that you really wanted to emulate in terms of the kind of impact that they made? Very much so. And, uh, in my office, I've got a, a picture of seven people, um, that were influential at different times in my life. And, uh, all, all but two of them right now are, are past, but often I will look up at that picture and say, you know, what would they tell me or, or what would, what would I learn? What have I learned from them? You know, one of them was my, my first boss. Uh, I cut his lawn but he taught me that, uh, you know, how to do a good job and how to reward people and how to, how to treat people. Uh, you know, another one was, uh, the skipper of my first ship, uh, USS Abraham Lincoln. And, uh, you know, he, I'll never forget, um, that on the bridge one time he got fewer, less sleep than anybody on the ship. Um, I mean, here's a guy that probably was surviving when we were deployed on, three or four hours of sleep a night. And Captain Hayden um, was always positive, was always smiling. He was always energetic. He was the biggest cheerleader there. And I remember one time just privately asking him when we were on the bridge, Skipper, how can you be um, this energetic, this happy? And he said two things. He said, someday when I'm old, I'm going to look back at this and realize that this was the best opportunity in my life. And he says, I don't want to miss a minute of it being anything but positive. 
And then he, he also smiled and he nudged me and he goes, um, I set the tone for my crew, just like you set the tone for your division. And that just, that struck me. It's like, um, you've got to set the tone with that. And I, I think of him often, you know, uh, when I, I get tired as a, as a parent and short, well, you know, uh, you look back and say, these are great times and I'm going to set the example or in the business, you know, when there's trying times, the trying times will always be there. But if you look at it as, as a problem, as opposed to an opportunity, so will everyone else. So, uh, as you talk about setting an example, uh, we're empty nesters. Now, uh, all of our kids are, are out of the house. Uh, youngest is a, a junior in college. And, uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I sat down and said, you know, what's the, what's our role? What's our theme, uh, you know, for this next season of our lives. And it was really to set an example. You know, set an example of what it is to to run a business. Set an example of what it is to be married. Uh, set an example of, of what it is, um, you know, uh, to be a follower. All of those things. And so we always look at that and think, even though it's just the two of us, there's a whole lot of people that are watching and copying what we do. Well, that's some fantastic advice. And sounds like you had some fantastic role models there. The flip side of that question that I always like to ask is, is there anything that you want to make sure you do differently than the previous generation or anything specific that you want to make sure your kids do differently than you did? I hope my kids learn from my bad examples that I did, um, but I'm not sure that we all learn from each other's examples. Um, I, I, I try to tell them and remind them. Uh, I would have to say that there's a season for everything. And early on as a parent, um, I thought my role was being a provider. So I worked very hard in, in my 20s and 30s um, at work um, and to, to be successful, uh, financially successful, to build the business. And one of the things looking back is that my kids didn't didn't care how much money we had, what we did. Um, I, if I had to do it again, I think I would have focused more in my 20s and 30s on the family success, knowing that my 40s and 50s, there would be time for the business uh, success. Now, granted, I started my family uh, earlier. So, you know, if, if I didn't start my family to the 30s, well, maybe that 20, um, that, uh, that decade of my 20s would have been a time that I could focus more on the career. But, you know, we've got 18 precious years with our kids. And even that's probably a, a stretch, right? By the time they're 16, they're, they're probably off doing their own thing just as much as they are at home. So I think really being present and intentional during those times. So that's something that I, I would um, hope my kids uh, would learn. And I, I, I don't know that you do on how fast time goes through until you're the other side of it. Uh, I, I can really relate to what you're saying there, Tom, because I grew up with that same mentality that uh, my primary job was to be the provider. And that was what I was focused on was providing. And it was just a few years ago, or actually just really less than two years ago, that uh, that I kind of had that realization that I've only got a, a short window left with my kids before they're out of the house. And, you know, I've been a provider and, and that's been great, but I don't know that I've done all the things that I need to do to raise my kids and make sure that they're ready to go out into the world. And so I kind of need to take on the role of, you know, more of a coach. And I guess, you know, that's obviously what being a parent is as well, but I need to really be trying to shape them and their, 
their view of the world and how to, to navigate that world as much as I can while I can. And so I really had to shift focus there. But I think a lot of us fall into that trap of thinking we're just supposed to be the provider. We focus solely on providing, uh, but we sometimes neglect some of the things that those kids really, really need from us, uh, especially early on. Uh, early on, somebody gave me advice that uh, that helped me and also took some of the stress off. They said every child has a has a dad and a father. You know, uh, the dad is here, uh, loves him. Uh, the dad is here trying to do the best that he can. The father is in heaven, um, uh, doing everything perfectly. But one thing they have in common is they both love the child. So I always looked at that as even though I made mistakes as their dad, um, their father was backing me up. Wow, you, you made you mean you made mistakes? You didn't read the manual first? <laughs> no, that was that was a joke. It may have fallen flat a little bit there, but yeah, I, there there is no manual. Yeah, we all. That's the thing that. Uh, and, and too often, I think we try and hide that from our kids that uh, that we're just trying to figure this out as we go, right? Every one of us, even though we had parents and we get lots of good advice, we're every situation is brand new, and you're just trying to figure it out as you go. And you know, early on, I was really uh, trying to make sure that I didn't let my kids know that I was just winging it the whole time. But uh, you know, the older they've gotten, the more I realized I'm better off to just let them know, hey, I made a mistake. That's my fault. We'll do it differently next time. And I think they learn more from seeing dad make a mistake and admitted that he made a mistake and, and then, you know, fixing that or trying to fix that than they do from uh, trying to, to see us as this perfect being, which we're obviously not. Well, Sean, so, and I, I've come to realize that we're all making it up as we go, right? So um, I, I sat in the backseat of a car for 16 years um, and, and watched somebody drive but still, I couldn't drive when I got behind the wheel. I, I took a class on it, you know, driver's education, but still it was scary when I went out there. And so I think um, we, we learn, we have people helping us, um, being a mentor to others, being a mentee. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all sort of making it up as we go. You know, even the president of the United States, um, Whichever party it is, it makes no difference. When they walk in to that office, they've never done that job in the in their life. They're just trying to do the best that they can. Well, and even after they've got years of experience, you know, every situation is new. Every day brings new challenges. We're, you know, even once someone's done it for a long time, they're still going to be winging it basically every day. They they have they can make more informed decisions, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, every everything requires new thought and a new perspective. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. We're all just winging it, but uh, hopefully we, we gain a little bit of that perspective to be able to, to make better decisions as we go. But uh, we always still need a little bit of outside perspective added too, I think. So Tom, one, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about um, is what do you feel your personal mission is? That's one of the things that we talk about on this show a lot is, uh, is kind of the mission that we take on and I wanted to see what you feel like your personal mission is and, and kind of how that relates to what you do. Uh, to me, you know, it's, it's connecting people, connecting ideas. Um, when I talked about before, when I grew up in that small town, um, it was paradise, but it was also hell because it was, it was isolated. And, um, I, I think one of the, the worst things that, that we can do in our life is, is to be isolated, right? Uh, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, there's different 
versions of that and everything. But you think about most of the world sees solitary confinement as cruel and unusual punishment. But yet in this world, we do it to ourselves, now, um, breaking down, you know, not being open to new ideas or new, new cultures, or even, you know, moving outside of our, our little world here. And so one of the things that I've always looked at is I love to introduce people. I love to introduce people to different books and different things that I've learned. And that's like what I get really excited about. And I, I think deep in my heart that's my mission. That's, that's my passion. Uh, you had mentioned the the book earlier. And when I wrote that, um, my mom wanted a copy. And so I gave her a copy and she gave it back to me and she goes, you didn't sign it. So I, I autographed it and I, I gave it back to her and she read it. And then she came back and she said, honey, I still have no idea what you do. And I said, mom, we personally introduce people to other people that they should know for the benefit of all. And she looked at me funny. She goes, I don't understand that, but I'm proud of you. And so thanks mom. But I just look at that and that's, that, that's my mission is to, to introduce people to different people, different ideas. Cause to me, the richness of your life, it's, it's the richness of your relationships. And, you know, today, if you're, if you're isolated or you're ignorant, that's largely by choice. And we've got people that can be mentors, connectors. I love what you're doing um, you know, with the peer groups. That's just so awesome to connect people because we all live a better life with that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. You know, the more people, you know, obviously the better off you're going to be, the more perspectives you can get on the situations that you're in, you know, the better decisions you're going to make. And that, that's what those peer groups are, are about is number one, building relationships. But uh, number two, it's also about being able to share your own experience and your own uh, knowledge that you've gained over the years and being able to take advantage of other people who want to share that as well, because it just amplifies everything that we do. Uh, one of the things that I, I've talked about in the last couple of weeks is, you know, being a consumer vo- versus a multiplier. You know, consumers are just out there to take something and consume it. But if you're when you're really connecting with people, you can be a multiplier. You can be a multiplier of time. You can be a multiplier of knowledge, a multiplier of experience. And uh, so that's one of the things that I want to be is I want to be a multiplier and another thing that I want to be, and I, to be honest with you, I have to work on this every day and I have, it's uh, it's actually in my goal planner. Do I, I check off whether I did a good job of being a connector or not? Because I want to be someone who helps other people to get to know the people that they need to know. And I think, because I think connectors are so valuable uh, out there in the world. Every time I meet somebody who's a great connector, uh, I'm just so thankful that I've met that person because, you know, they are, they care enough to connect you to the people that they think you need to know or people who can help you to do the things that you need to do. And that's such a valuable, I, I think it's a skill because I think you have to work on it every day, or at least I have to work on it every day. It's not natural for me by any means. And so that's a skill that I definitely want to develop. And it sounds like that's something that you're obviously great at and doing. Um, what are some of the, if you don't mind telling me a little more, what are some of the ways I, that you I, do that? I think I'm blessed with it, right? And I, I wouldn't say that I'm great at it. It's something that I strive to. And to me, um, I, I try doing things that may be easy for me, but add incredible value to the other person. Um, there's a great book um, 
I Like Giving uh, by Brad Formsma. And every time somebody says giving, they think of, okay, it's money or time, but there's so many ways that you, that you can give to people, um, right? And you had talked about um, connecting. Um, you think about it, the best gift that I've ever been given was the person that introduced me to my bride, right? I couldn't have done that on my own um, or somebody that introduces you to a new idea. You know, before we talked about Captain Hayden opening my eyes to that idea of what it meant to be a leader. So I, I look at that and saying, how can you introduce somebody to a new idea or a new person? It really doesn't cost you a whole lot, right? It, somebody can give me $5 for a Starbucks, you know, send me a gift card. I'm a coffee achiever. Okay, a coffee addict. Uh, it won't go to waste, but honestly, probably, you know, a week from now, I won't remember who brought me that cup of coffee on Thursday. But I'll forever remember who it was that introduced me to that idea or that person or um, uh, that uh, that book. And one of the things that I try to do is always recognize where the idea came from. Um, in in academia, they call it plagiarism. When you steal ideas without giving credit for where they came from. And if I learn something, I, I always want to, to give credit for it. So if I, if I share an idea from a book, I'll be the first one to say, Hey, you know, this is where the idea came from. Check it out. Or if I put something up on social media, um, if I can remember who I learned it from, man, I will always give them credit because they gave me a gift that was so, um, so beneficial. And it always kills me when I hear people say, well, you know, the, the first time I give credit, the second time I say, like I always say in the third time, I just take credit for it. It's like, that's not fair. Um, you know, uh, tell people where they can go back to the source and get that. Yeah, absolutely. My problem is, is that sometimes I forget where the source was or it's been long enough that I, I start to take credit for it because I thought I did think of it. <laughs> if you, it's uh, it's kind of like the old uh, the old adage. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm Now I'm trying to remember who it was that I read this from. I, I read in a, I think it was in a book. I want to say it was an N.T. Wright uh, book. He said something along the lines of, you know, you read and he was, this was in reference to uh, theology books. And so he said, if you read one author, you know, you become a disciple, you read two authors, you become confused, you read three authors, and you start to find your own voice. And I think that it kind of works the same way whenever you've read, you know, if you're reading, you know, 25, 30, 40 books a year, uh, after a while, it all just kind of gets jumbled into your own voice. And uh, you forget, or at least I forget sometimes where I pick those things up. I'd love to give whoever it was that said it first credit, but uh, it may have been long enough ago now that I may, I may not realize that it wasn't me. Tell me a little bit more about kind of how your service works and what you do for people to, to get them connected to those those voices that uh, are those people that need to know them. Yeah, and really, it comes to going back to personal introductions. So uh, sometimes I say my grandfather is better set for the future than my grandchildren because he understood the strategy, even if he wouldn't understand the technology. So the strategy behind it is uh, the best place to get a customer is from a personal introduction, you know, a, a warm lead, uh, someone introducing you that they know, like, and trust. So really that's what podcast interview marketing is going on a podcast that has your ideal audience there, getting a chance to be introduced by the host, 
being able to talk about your your passion, your vision, why you do things. And you know, that will that will repel people that aren't your ideal customers and it'll attract the ones that you do that are. And so our business is all based around that. We help authors, speakers, coaches, uh, brands get on those podcasts so that they can tell their story. And, you know, early on, we had a client that said, you know, I want to be the guest. You take care of all the rest. There was another one that said, I work with you because Sinatra only sang. And I said, thank you. What does that mean? And he's like, well, Sinatra was a, a smart guy. He was a hardworking guy. But he realized the best use of his time was performing. So, you know, he could have set up all his gigs. He could have moved the equipment, but he wouldn't have become Sinatra. And so with this, uh, we allow our clients to be the performers, to go out there and do what, what they can do. And then we support them. It makes for a very, very scalable, a very easy uh, marketing system to get out there. And, uh, you know, our studies have shown that Podcast interviews convert 25 times better than blogs. And um, if you're really based on a relationship sale, if people need to know, like, and trust you, if you're doing something that's beyond just a transaction, then podcasts or hosting a podcast or being a podcast guest is just a great way to get the word out there. Sean, thank you so much for having me on the show here. Um I, uh, I'm really honored to be here. And if I can help with anyone, um, the easiest way to get in touch with me is just go to interviewvalet.com forward slash I L M. And I'll put all my contact information there. You don't have to figure out which Tom Schwab and Kalamazoo I am. And Sean had mentioned my book before you can buy it on Amazon, but I give it away freely just so people can learn from those ideas and you can reference uh, reference the book to leverage podcast interviews to grow your business. And on that page, also interviewvalet.com forward slash ILM. Um, I'll also put uh, uh, my schedule, uh, calendar scheduling link. So if any of this resonated with you, if you think we could help you with this, please feel free to reach out. I just say that, you know, uh, you've got something to offer the world. What you know, what you do could really help a lot of people. Biggest problem is you're obscure. They they don't know you exist. So uh, get out there, uh, you know, any way you can, be it uh, blogs, videos, on a podcast as a host or a guest. What you know could help people's lives and make a real legacy and impact on their business. Thanks for listening to Impact Legacy and Meaning. If you found what you heard today helpful, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. That would really help me out. Also, don't forget to download your own personal assessment from impactlegacyandmeaning.com, where you can also check the show notes for any links or references from today's podcast. And remember, the only thing holding you back is you.